Well, let me just say what you're all thinking. Why is this pulpit up here? That's my question. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he got to his church in England uh, years and years ago, decades ago, he had uh, the leadership of his church bolt the podium to the floor so it would never be able to move. Uh, so central was the preaching of the word in that church, and it is here as well, as you know. Um, thank you for indulging me a couple of times being out of the pulpit. The first time was because I had the flu, and I knew you didn't want me coming with that. And the other was because of Shepherd's Conference. Uh, today I was really looking forward to uh, preaching from Romans chapter 5 on the love of God. The Apostle Paul uh, preaching or teaching us as the recipients of his letter on the love of God. Uh, and so I, I prepared it one week. That's the week I got sick. The second week I polished it. And then the other day we remembered that today is ordination Sunday for Randy Barlow. And so, <laughs> yes, that's someone from my family. And <laughs> And um, so we are going to do that today. I am going to be preaching the word, just not out of Colossians. And all that I can conclude is that the Lord wants me to work on that sermon on the love of God some more. It must be terribly important for us to hear. And so I am really looking forward to that. That will be next Sunday. I say all of this to let you know that if you are here for the first time and you came to hear an expository sermon out of Romans uh, that's not going to happen today. But we are going to have an expository sermon from Colossians chapter 1. Now, it never ceases to amaze me from year to year to see how Christ is building his church. And, and I don't necessarily mean the church universal uh, or even the churches here that we associate with, uh, um, although it's, it's true of them as well. But here at Calvary Bible Church, it really is a marvelous thing. I mean, so many things have happened over the years and, and are continuing to happen. We could never have planned this. We could never have planned it. And yet the Lord had a plan. Uh, this is a unique morning for us, as I said, because our, uh, this morning is the time that we get to participate in setting aside a man for gospel ministry. Randy Barlow has been... Uh, ministering pastorally in kind of a provisional way for the past two, a uh, little more than two years. I'm trying to look at Randy. Where is he? There you are. And I'm blinded. I can't see you from here. So I want to be looking at you. I want to do some PowerPointing toward you uh, this morning. So during that two-year period of ministry at our side, the elders have had the privilege, and, and I do mean that, not just as a filler word, it has been a privilege to get to know this brother and see him minister to, uh, first of all, his, his wife and his family, and also to the body of Christ, and also to the lost who we come in contact with. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people stop by the church. And just seeing this brother minister and hearing his heart as he preaches and teaches and so our purpose was to see whether his desire to enter into pastoral ministry matches the qualifications that the Word of God lays down for those who would actually enter the ministry as a vocational kind of thing. And, and at the end of the prescribed time, which for us was two years, 
Um, and and I, it, it, it's no seamless place to put this, but, but I, I need to clarify, this is not ordination to eldership. It is ordination to gospel ministry. Lord willing, eldership will be next year, perhaps. Um, we were very serious about not laying hands on anyone too quickly. And some will say we move too slowly. And I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with moving too slowly. I'm not comfortable with, with us moving too quickly. And so it'll probably be another year. We are ordaining him today to gospel ministry. And uh, just a few weeks ago, you may remember that Randy stood down there in Fellowship Hall, uh, literally stood for two hours while we lobbed questions at him uh, based on a theological paper that he wrote that we always have our candidates for ordination write. Um, it was lengthy. It was thorough. And, um, and so the elders, the ordination board, really just made up of the elders, uh, sometimes other people, but for this time it was just us, and who, whoever from the church body was willing to show up that day. And I know some of you forgot about it, and we'll do this again someday with someone else, uh, but this is a really important time in the life of our church. And so with all of that as background, we're here today to present this dear brother to the Lord and to you, his church, for ordination to gospel ministry. But before the elders bring him forward for a formal blessing and commission to ministry, I thought it might be beneficial for us just to do what we expect him to do and crack open the word for a few minutes and, and uh, talk about the Lord's claim on the men that he calls to ministry. Now, we understand by now, don't, do we not, that the reason the church exists is this. Say it with me if you can. I know for a lot of you this is new, but uh, it may be in your bulletin somewhere. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God in the joy of all peoples. That's why we're here. And that's why pastors are here. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We exist to preach the Word of God. We talk often about what that looks like in the home and at the office, in life in general. We have discussed how it plays out in the lives of men as fathers and husbands and, and wives and, and young ladies and mothers and children and, and those who are off to college. Wherever we are, wherever we go, we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. It says so on our sign. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim the excellencies of Christ. But what is the pastor's role in this? It's a unique thing. How do pastors proclaim the excellencies of Christ in their specific ministry? What is God's claim upon the life of a man like Randy Barlow as his chosen servant for the church? Well, the Apostle Paul spoke in detail about this. He spoke about this very thing. The very first chapter of his letter to the Colossians, he talks about it. And so, if you would, take your Bible now and stand with me, and we are going to read this passage, Colossians 1, 24 through 28. Colossians 1, 24 through 28. And follow along now as I read. 
Apostle Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sakes, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden in ages, in, in, in past ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we might present every man complete in Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, and you can be seated. Well, if you have ever wondered what a pastor's job description looks like, we just read it. It, perhaps you could argue, is not all of it, but this is the core. There are a number of ways we could approach this text, but let's start with the most fundamental point. How does a pastor proclaim the excellencies of Christ? First, number one in your notes, first, by fulfilling God's purpose. We fulfill our calling by when we fulfill his purpose. Before anything else, the shepherd of God's flock needs to understand what the goal is. What has God appointed me to do? What has God appointed Randy to do? What has God appointed for Jason to do? And, and the other elders too when they have opportunity to teach and preach. We have a very clear calling. And Paul answers that question in verse 28 by saying this, We proclaim him. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man, with all wisdom so that we may present every man, and the Greek word here is teleon en Christo, which means complete in Christ, mature in Christ, perfect in Christ. We have this, and you remember this perhaps from Romans, how Paul pictured himself as presenting or introducing the believers he was writing to one day, introducing them to Christ. This is exactly what Paul's talking about here. One day, his goal is that one day he will be able to present his readers complete in Christ, presenting him to the Father. The word for complete here simply means mature. God's goal is to bring many sons to glory, yes, but before they get to glory, God has raised up men to help bring them to completeness in Christ. In other words, to bring them to true spiritual maturity. God's purpose for pastors is not only to bring people to Christ, but to bring them to maturity in Christ. That's why he says in verse 28 that the means by which they are brought to completeness in Christ 
is by admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. That's what pastors do. We admonish every man and teach every man. It's not only preaching, which I'll talk about here in just a minute, but it certainly includes that. What I'm doing right now is part of God's calling on every preacher. And, and we believe that means that we don't get to choose necessarily what the next sermon is going to be. It's already determined. Whatever comes next is what we preach. Beloved, this is so important because the pastor is not called to present his own ideas. He's called to proclaim the Word of God. Well, this is nothing new, right? This is nothing new. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, Paul says this, God gave some, this is gifts to the church, right? God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for, again, here's the goal, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge, the intimate knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. That is, this is a, a kind of a euphemism for the church. A mature man. That's our goal as elders. We want this church to grow into maturity. And you know what I think? I was just meeting with the Cal 101 people, the new folks who were thinking about membership. And when I asked them a, 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 some questions about why they decided to stay, uh, every one of them told me they are here for the right reason. It's not just for the children's ministry. It's, it's not for the music primarily. They want to hear the Word of God proclaimed. And as we hear the Word of God proclaimed, and as we respond appropriately, this church becomes, as Paul describes it, a mature man. We become a mature church. And so Randy, as you consider what God's objective is for your ministry, I charge you, my brother, to never waver from the clearly stated purpose of bringing men and women to maturity in Christ. Maturity in Christ. And I know that you, as all faithful servants of the Lord, feel the pressure externally from outward sources to, to make some other ideal or goal or purpose the main objective of your ministry. I know that because that's where I used to live. When I came here, I was a church growth guy, a topical preacher. Right, Frank? Uh, you have to resist that. Resist that. With all your might, resist the pressure for you to turn the church into something other than what Jesus intends for it to be. We gather to worship him. We gather to hear his word. We hear hundreds of thousands of words every week. But we only hear the infallible word when we gather. Yes, you can read it on your own. There's nothing like hearing the preached word of God. God's purpose for your ministry 
God's purpose for your ministry is not to build a large church or to gain respect in the Christian community or make a name for yourself or, or even to build many churches. God's primary purpose for you, my brother, is to bring people to maturity in Christ. And that assumes salvation at the beginning, but it also assumes a lot of hard work in bringing them to a place where they truly know and know how to know Jesus Christ. But of course that means you also need to be growing in Christ yourself. You must remember that you will never take anyone deeper than you've ever been. And you will probably never take anyone deeper than where you are. As Paul said to Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. It's one thing to get your theology right. An awful lot of men historically, thousands upon thousands of men, have been ordained by their church who didn't even know the Lord. It's possible to learn the theology and not even believe it. And so pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. And don't give anyone cause, this is, this is what Paul says to Timothy, don't give anyone cause to look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself as an example to the believers. Show yourself what it means to live for Christ don't just tell them what it means. Don't just tell them what it means to be complete in Christ. Show them. I pray that God would give you the grace to continue doing what you're already doing. Namely, inviting people to follow you because you are following Christ. And also remember that it's complete in Christ. Not complete in Calvin. Not complete in Sproul, not complete in MacArthur, not complete in Piper. It's complete in Christ. Complete in Christ. The only personality that should matter to you is that of Christ. That's the only person that mattered to Paul. He was his model. And this is the object of our faith. He is the subject of our study He's the person we desire to emulate with every fiber of our being. And so make God's purpose your purpose. Strive to bring his people to maturity in Christ. And that leads us to the question, of how does a pastor proclaim the excellencies of Christ? Well, first, by seeking to fulfill God's purpose. And second, by following his plan. As you know, there are an astounding number of how-to books and seminars and conferences. We just got back from one. For pastors, which are designed to teach us how to lead the flock. And honestly, most of those books and seminars aren't worth attending. Some would have you follow a model of corporate America. A lot of churches do that. Others would have us follow the model of Biological life is a pattern, and that's, that's not necessarily wrong, but it's sometimes where it takes them is wrong. I've even seen one book that encourages us to follow the leadership strategy of Attila the Hun. That doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> that 
that's not how God wants us to lead. If the goal is to lead people to maturity in Christ, then it stands to reason that our model for ministry should be patterned after Paul's, who was patterning his after Christ. How did Paul pursue God's purposes among the people that he served? Well, let me, let me just give you three priorities, and I don't think these are in the notes. Three priorities for leadership in the church. Number one, humble service. Humble service. And i just got to tell you, one of the things that attracted me to Randy in terms of coming into this position was that. And I know that those of you who know him and remember meeting him those first couple of times, you came away with the same impression. Here is a humble man of God. I praise God for that. Verse 25 says this, Of this church, actually I'm borrowing a little bit for the end of the previous verse, 24. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. He's writing to the church. The word for minister here is diakonos. It is the word which comes, uh, that we, we get the, the English word deacon from diakonos. It simply means servant or slave. It means a, a person who is busy doing things for the good of the church and for good, the good of individuals in the church. Likewise, the word stewardship is very similar. It refers to a household slave. And so Paul saw himself not as a great apostle, not as the vicar of Christ, not as the, the bishop of the nations, no. He viewed himself as a humble slave, a humble servant who is constantly trying to get under people, not over them, but under them, lifting them up, helping them in ways that are appropriate for pastoral ministry. Christ himself, being the master of the house, models for us, what it looks like. And, and that's appropriate because this is his church. This is his house. We serve as slaves in his house. In Paul's eyes, he was merely a slave of Christ in the household of Christ, the church. In fact, Paul, I realize slave of Christ might strike people as weird or repulsive. It wasn't for Paul. When he spoke of himself, it appears that he was honored by the reality that he was a slave of Christ. He, was, he loved introducing himself as a slave of Christ. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul introduced himself like this. Paul, slave of Christ. Now, it says bondservant, in, probably in your translation, um, it should be slave. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Titus 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a slave of God and of Jesus Christ. This is how Paul saw himself. He really didn't see himself when thinking about himself as, as the one who's in the lead but rather one who is here to serve and to lead by serving. 
You see, Paul never saw himself as the CEO of the church. He didn't view himself as the captain of the ship. He didn't view himself as the commander. He didn't even call himself father. No, he self-identified simply as a household slave in the church. And this is the perspective of every faithful pastor. Alexander Strzok wrote a book called Pastoral Ministries. It was a book that had um, really life-changing influence in terms of ministry for me when I first got here and Pastor Jim started leading us through this book because we were having to figure out what is biblical eldership. And we started looking for a book, and this one was called Biblical Eldership. So we thought we'd start there. (laughs) And talk about a faithful brother. He's done more for the church in helping churches figure out what eldership is about biblically. And in one part of his book, he writes this, True shepherds suffer and bear the brunt of difficulty, difficult people and problems, so that the sheep are not bruised. They bear the misunderstanding and sins of others, so that the assembly may live in peace. They lose sleep so that others may rest. They make great personal sacrifices of time and energy for the welfare of others. They see themselves as men under authority, They depend on God for wisdom and help, not their own power and cleverness. They face the false teachers, fierce attacks. They guard the community's liberty and freedom so that the saints are encouraged to develop their gifts and to mature and to serve one another. Brother, this is the life you're called to. This is the model that God wants you to present Our model for this, of course, is Jesus. Christ himself said these words. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So first, Paul pursues God's goals through humble service. This is leadership strategy number one, be the chief servant. Second, He pursued God's goal for his ministry through public preaching. And this one's the most obvious, right? One of the trends in the church over the past couple of decades, however, has been to downplay preaching. One misguided preacher once infamously asked, why should I have 30 minutes on the platform to stand up and talk if no one else in the congregation gets to speak? And I would just say, if you're asking that question this morning... You don't, belong, you don't belong in pastoral ministry. More than anything else, the pastor's job is to preach the word, which is why I had Randy read that long passage this morning out of 2 Timothy. And you remember it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul says this, Listen, you remember when I was a kid, I remember when I was a kid, if we wanted to, if we wanted to be authoritative, if we wanted to, to show someone that you can trust what I'm about to say, you would say, I swear on a stack of Bibles, right? That's what Paul's doing here, except he's pointedly telling preachers what they ought to do, and he's doing it 
emphatically. And so he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. This is our mandate. If we don't get anything else done, we do this. There are many, many things that pastors should do. But the thing that absolutely must be done is studying the Word to preach the Word. And I praise God that this church, from early on, embraced that mandate and understood and, and really set me free to study for hours and hours and hours and hours, and it seems like endless hours, of studying to prepare the next text of Scripture for presentation on Sunday morning. And so this was Paul. By the way, and maybe I've shared this with you before, but whenever one of these guys is preaching, uh, no matter where I am, even if I'm on the other side of the world, I try to communicate to them uh, sometime before they get into the pulpit, either on Saturday night or early Sunday morning by text. I'll call or I'll text or I'll WhatsApp or, or something, and I'll say, hey, brother, I'm praying for you, and you know why. Preach the word. Preach the word. That's why people are coming on Sunday morning. They want to hear the word preached because that's what God wants. They want what God wants, so preach the word. The ministry of the Word of God in the Apostle's mind was the priority. It was priority one. That's why when he wrote his final letter to, the prote to his protege, Timothy, he expounded on this. And he told Timothy, this is what you do. And he made it in no uncertain terms. The pastor's primary service to Christ's church is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ by reading the text Explaining the text, applying the text. It sounds so simple. And yet it, is, it will consume your whole life. He doesn't stand in the pulpit to inspire the people. He doesn't stand in the pulpit to build their self-esteem, to show them how they can have their best life now. He comes to the pulpit to proclaim, Thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. Listen to him and obey. Stop leaning on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. His way is always the best way. <coughs> Wish I had time to fully unpack this next section because it's so rich, but look at how Paul describes the message God has given us to preach. He calls it the mystery. In a sense, it's a mystery in the sense that while the Old Testament prophets said it was coming, hardly anyone connected all of the dots to understand that after the resurrection, what Jesus would do in terms of his church by his gospel. The idea of the promised Christ indwelling Gentiles and these are, this is who 
Paul's writing to, right? The church of Colossae that was probably exclusively Gentile. And he says, this is the mystery. Christ in you. In you. In the Gentiles. Now, was this in the Old Testament? Absolutely it was in the Old Testament. But it was so scandalous, it was hard to believe. It was hard to get your head around it. Even the Jewish believers in the time really struggled with this. This is what God's church would be. This is what Christ's church would be. It would be Christ in Jews and Gentiles in the church. The idea of God's chosen people, his church, would be made up of Jews and Gentiles was, was hard to believe, but it was the intended work of God, and it would be created by his word. In verse 27, he calls this revelation and the message that it contains the riches, the glory. The words and the promises of God are nothing less than spiritual treasure. The preacher is simply Christ's servant, the king's servant, called to take the treasure of the king and disperse it to his subjects. The king of heaven wants all of his subjects to be rich in the knowledge of Christ. And that's why Paul begins the letter to the Ephesians by saying this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so now he's saying it the opposite way. It's in Christ. Whereas in Colossians he says, Christ in you. This is union. This is union with Christ. This is the mystery. This is the church. And so the pastor is to pursue God's goal by public preaching. But his ministry is not merely public public preaching. It is also a private ministry. Paul wants us to know that leadership in the church must happen through the, the ministry of the pulpit and the ministry of ministering to one another face to face. Yes, there is humble service. Yes, there is public preaching and teaching. But there is also what we might just call personal ministry or private counsel. In verse 28, watch this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word here, admonish. We admonish everyone. And the word here is nutheteo, which means to warn or to correct through instruction, biblical instruction. Most of you know that Calvary Bible Church offers biblical counseling to the church body and to anyone who comes knocking on our door or calls us by phone and tells us that they have a problem that they just can't sort out on their own or their marriage is a mess or they're, they're enslaved to pornography or something. And they call. I remember when I was a young pastor early on in my previous church, when I was a, a young associate pastor there in my 20s, 
and someone came. I had been, I had been to three, no, yes, three theological institutions by then, and I was ready to preach and teach and lead. And then someone came in with, I don't remember if it was depression or they were having uh, some kind of a personality thing or whatever it was, and they came in and said, help. You're, you're the pastor, right? This, this book is supposed to help. And I had no idea how to use this book. I knew the truths in it, but I didn't know how to bring it to bear. And one of the things that has made Calvary Bible Church what it is today is because we've become passionate about learning how to bring the Word of God to bear on every issue of life. Every issue of life. The point is, however, that Paul did not merely preach. In fact, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he didn't preach that often. But he counseled a lot. Paul counseled far more than he preached. I mean, look at what he says. Everyone, everyone, everyone. He went from house to house to house to house. He met with parents. He met with uh, men, he met with women, he met with anyone who needed God's word. And so he sat down with people face to face, eyeball to eyeball, to bring the word of God to bear on their lives. And in doing so, no doubt, many came to Christ. And I say no doubt, because that's been the experience of Calvary Bible Church. Our biblical counseling ministry is probably, best we can tell, the most fruitful evangelistic ministry in our church. As pastors, we simply must do more than preach to the masses. We must minister to individuals with tender concern, compassion, and conviction. And that's how we point them to Christ. That's one of the ways we proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And how does a pastor proclaim the excellencies of Christ? Well, first of all, by fulfilling his purpose and then by following God's plan. And finally, number three, favoring Christ's path. Randy, I understand that God has placed you and me in a fairly comfortable situation here in our church compared to our brothers and sisters, say, in Ukraine or in Uganda or in Korea or some of the other places that the church is thriving. And we praise God for this wonderful building or this campus. It is beautiful. My office is amazing. Nevertheless, we must never forget that the call to ministry is also a call to suffer. We should not be surprised because so it has been for all of the prophets and all of the preachers in the Bible and every faithful pro proclaimer of the word since the beginning of the gospel. Nevertheless, God has provided everything sufficiently for you even then. Here's what Paul said in verse 24. Look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now he's not talking about atonement here. He's not saying that the death of Christ was insufficient. To the contrary, the death of Christ was sufficient and is sufficient for the salvation of all who believe. But what Paul was saying was, 
we are his body. And as his body, the body of Christ suffers with Christ. We might say, Paul is alluding to the reality that suffering is normal in pastoral ministry. And Paul understood that to take up your cross daily and follow Christ would involve suffering at a variety of levels. And he endured it, not grudgingly or with self-pity, but joyfully. I rejoice in my sufferings. Randy, it may be that the culture you live in may never require the shedding of your blood for the sake of the gospel, although maybe. But that doesn't mean you won't suffer. Brother, you will suffer. You will suffer. I have no doubt that you will suffer the loss of cherished friendships that you thought would be yours forever. And because of some horrific sin, that relationship is gone. And that day you must choose, will you love your friend more than you love Christ and his church? There will be times when you will be painfully misunderstood and falsely accused. Will you love justice and reputation more than you love Christ and his church? There will be times when your heart will break as Savannah is called to suffer because of your ministry. What then? Will you stay the course and remain faithful to your calling? There will be months when you feel overworked and underappreciated. Will you cherish Christ more than rest and glory? Don't get me wrong. I mean, the faithful pastor's life is full of joy, inexpressible and full of glory. It really is. And usually the congregation is, they're, they're some of the most joyful and life-giving people you'll ever know in this life. At least at Calvary Bible Church, been my experience. But in these early years of ministry, you would do well to adopt Paul's motto in 2 Corinthians 6, 11, when he said this of himself, sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Remembering that if you're following the Good Shepherd, he is always leading you down the right path, even though it be the valley of the shadow of death. This is the path of Christ. To follow him is to bear his shame and feel some measure of his pain. The call to ministry is a call to joyful suffering. Likewise, it is a call to tireless labor. Look at verse 29. For this, what is the this? Presenting every man complete in Christ, right? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The word labor here means to work to the point of exhaustion. The word striving here comes from the word agonizomai. And you can almost hear the English word in there, right? Agonize. Sometimes it's agony. Sometimes the text itself is agonizing, just trying to figure out how to get it right. And sometimes it's interpersonal, but it'll be agonizing. 
Randy, I know you have no illusion about pastoral ministry being a cushy job that demands little work and lots of pay. But the more ministry that's entrusted to you, your care, the more you will feel the weight of the stewardship that has been entrusted to you, the more you will feel like a slave. And you got to be okay with that. Pastoral ministry is not for the lazy or the unmotivated. One of the reasons I love serving with Randy is because he has such a shepherd's heart. One of the reasons I love serving with both of these men is I watch their lives and I learn from them. And so Randy, I would say, is, is no hired hand, to use Jesus' word. He's not a hired hand who abandons the sheep when the going gets tough. I realize that hasn't been tested to its fullest yet, but I know something of the man. I believe he has the heart of a true shepherd. And so this morning, it is the elder's privilege and it is the church's privilege to do what Paul and the elders in the two cities where Timothy lived to come and lay hands on him and to explain to the church and affirm to the church that we see in this brother exactly what the Apostle Paul requires us to see in any man who takes the office of a minister of the gospel. Let me ask the elders to come up.